Thanks, everyone. Morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's actually Tim. It's not Adam. Sorry if I confused you earlier. My name's Tim. Um, I'm not actually a lion as well. I know that costume was very convincing, uh, but that was from my child's dress-up box, so don't, don't be too confused. Now, this morning, uh, the, the issues we're dealing with, they're heavy. They're not light. Uh, there will be light towards the end. But the first chunk of what I'm about to say is going to be heavy. It's going to be hard to move through. But please bear with me because unless we face the reality of our world and our lives, the hope and the message of Isaiah chapter 9 won't be nearly as bright as God intends for it to be. So please uh, bear with me, sit in the uncomfortableness and, and the pain of what we're about to say so that the hope shines all the more brightly. How about I pray for us and then we'll get into it. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us. We have heard your voice. I pray that now as we dig into um, some dark chapters of the Bible uh, and we look at our world and the darkness in our world, that you would give us a real sense of reality, uh, not sugar-coated, help us to not ignore it, but help us to see it properly the way you see it so that we might understand the hope that we have in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus the King. Amen. Well, this week, as I was uh, digging into this stuff with um, Isaiah 7, 8, 9, uh, I I was considering the idea of war, and I stumbled across a video about children who are suffering war in the Ukraine. And it was a a heart-wrenching video. It starts with a man, uh, head in his hand, sobbing, saying, I failed them. I failed my two beautiful daughters. As he's saying that, he's sitting in a hospital. One of his daughters is in surgery. They're removing shrapnel from her body. He watched his other daughter die. It, It changes to a doctor who's in a room with two children. And the doctor talks about a six year old boy lying next to him who has shrapnel in his stomach that they have to remove. Next to the six-year-old boy is his 15-year-old sister, who's had to have a leg removed and has metal rods in her arm to fix a, a severe fracture in her arm. And neither of them are smiling, as you can imagine. And as the doctor describes what's going on, he, he talks about another boy, an, another six-year-old boy, who witnessed his mother burn to death in a car And as the doctor talks about what the boy said to his dad, he says, the boy spoke emotionlessly to his dad saying, Daddy, can we go to the store and get a new mummy? Because I want someone to walk me to school. War is so horrific, isn't it? The doctor, after saying that story, just simply says, I hate Russia. I hate Russia. Another video I saw as you know, I was diving down this rabbit hole was an orphanage in Romania filled with children who no longer have any parents or, or have been separated from their parents because of war in Ukraine. And this is a, an orphanage of about 30 or 40 kids. There are thousands of kids in the same situation without the love and care of an orphanage to look after them. Children are suffering because of this war and... When I watched those videos, I thought about my kids and my life. 
How would I feel if I watched my kids suffer the way those kids suffered? How would I feel if I knew that my kids were going to grow out without their mum and dad? That's not an easy, comfortable thought to deal with. Violence has been with humanity for a very, very long time. Violence is something that we just can't seem to overcome. No matter what we do as a human race, we can't get past violence. It's with us and we seem to be stuck with it. And so what hope is there for Ukraine? What hope is there for people who suffer violence all over the world? What hope is there for those of us who have suffered violence? If you're asking these questions, then Isaiah 9 has the answers for us. Isaiah 9 offers a beautiful hope. But before we can see that hope, we need to understand the scope of the problem of violence. And so I want to take us through some of what chapter 7 and chapter 8 say so that we can just understand how desperate our need for hope is. The background of this passage uh, is war, war and violence. That's why I was thinking about war, that's why I was looking at Ukraine, because in Isaiah chapter 7, there is war. And we need to look into it uh, to understand what's really going on in Isaiah chapter 9. So let me give you a little bit of the history. In Isaiah chapter 7, there's a war between Judah and two of its neighbouring countries. You'll see a slide here uh, with a little bit of a map for you. Boom. Uh, So Judah, you can see, is the green country in the south. Above it are the nations of Israel and Aram. Uh, Israel and Aram have formed an alliance and decided that they want Judah to form their alliance, uh, to, to join in their alliance, because there's a big, bad superpower named Assyria. Next slide. Boom. Big bads Assyria are coming to wipe them out. And Israel and Aram, you can kind of see them there, uh, they want to form kind of like an alliance to defend against Assyria, but they can't do it themselves. They need little Judah to help them. A three-nation alliance is stronger than two. And so they go to Judah, uh, you know, join our team. Judah says, no, we're not going to join you. And so they say, so be it. We're going to go to war with you, we're going to destroy your king, and we're going to install our own puppet king. And of course, he'll be a yes man, he'll join our alliance. And so you can go back to the, to the next one. Thanks, Ryan. And so there's, there's war in the, in the land of Israel and Judah and Aram. And in fact, they invade Judah, and we see that in chapter 7, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, keep them open. Chapter 7 is just a page back from chapter 9. Uh, which was just read for us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. When Ahaz, that is the king of Judah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, which we saw up there, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Invasion, war, They've surrounded the capital city of Jerusalem. They can't destroy it. The city of Jerusalem's holding out, but they're not feeling so good about it. Look at verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. That's another name for Israel. 
So the hearts of Ahaz and the people were shaken as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Yes, they may be holding out, but they are terrified. They are shaking like trees. They are afraid of the destruction that will come if Israel and Aram take over the city. And so into this situation, God sends Isaiah with a message. And that's what happens in the next few verses of chapter 7. I'll summarise it for you. God essentially says, don't worry, they won't destroy you. I will overcome them. I'll protect you. Just trust in me. In fact, God even says to Ahaz, king of Judah, he says, I'll give you a sign so that you can trust in me. But Ahaz doesn't trust God. He rejects God's sign and instead decides to play politics. And so what he does is he goes to big bad Assyria and says, hey, can you protect me from Israel and Aram? He he decides that his ability to negotiate and play politics is more powerful than God's ability to protect him, and so that's what he does. But because Ahaz doesn't trust God, God judges Ahaz, and he says, I'm going to ascend Assyria, not as an ally, but as an enemy who will conquer and destroy you. And he will also conquer and destroy Israel and Aram while he's at it. Judah is surrounded by war and violence. And so, they turn to violence as the solution. But in the end, they just experience greater violence. It's a vicious cycle. There is no escape for Judah. And there is no escape from violence in our world today. Violence has been with us at least since Cain rose and killed his brother Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, do you remember it? The first account we have after Adam and Eve eat the apple and have to leave the garden is their sons killing one another. And violence continues with us today. Last century, in the 1900s, 108 million people died as a result of war and violence. 108 million people. I didn't do the math on that, but... That's not an insignificant percentage of the world's population. At the turn of the millennium, we had about 7 billion people on earth, 108 million people. That's incredible. This year alone, America has had, on average, nine mass shootings per week. That's one for every weekday, and throw in a bonus few on the weekend. If that feels far from home, violence is here in Australia. One in four women face violence from a partner or an ex-partner. One in four women. That's women here in this building have experienced that. Or just on Friday, I I saw this. I'd never considered this before, but uh, look at this uh, short little news report. Eighty-two percent of people say they have experienced at least one form of violence when playing community sport as children. That is, our children in community sports, lots of them would have played yesterday, eighty-two percent of those children will have experienced some form of violence, whether psychological, physical, sexual. Violence is here. 
people here today, the person sitting next to you, you might have experienced some kind of violence. Thanks, Ryan. You can take that down now. Violence just seems to go hand in hand with humanity. Will we ever be free from it? Will we ever get away from violence? According to Isaiah, the outlook is pretty bleak. Look at the last verse of chapter 8 with me. As Isaiah talks about the state of the world in violence and God's judgment on violence, he says, 8.22, Then they'll look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. Their outlook is bleak. So what do we do? What can we do? Well, here's the the thing, right? We've been trying for thousands of years. Human efforts can't end violence. Human efforts can't put a stop to this thing that has been with us for so long. We see that throughout these chapters in Isaiah. Judah tries desperately to end the violence coming for them. First, King Ahaz tries politics. He tries to get Assyria to come in and stop the war. That just leads to greater violence. Because we saw it on the map, as Assyria comes and destroys Aram and Israel, guess who's next door? Little Judah. Assyria just keeps going. Then the people, they try a more spiritual approach. They don't try a spiritual God approach. Look at verse 19 of chapter 8. This is what they try instead. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter... Should not a people inquire of their God? Why do you consult the dead on behalf of the living? They've they've gone to seek wisdom from those who have died. God says, no, don't do that. That's foolish. What could they tell you? Many of them died because of violence themselves. They couldn't escape it. Now, we we know that seeking mediums and spiritists is foolish. That's not going to work. We know that. We are far more educated Maybe education can end violence. We don't see that in this chapter, but kind of since the Enlightenment, as we've kind of progressed as humanity, that's what people have thought. If we can educate ourselves, we can move on from violence. But here's the problem. Educating ourselves has just kind of made us better at violence. It's given us better tools to be violent with. You know, some of the greatest scientific discoveries of the 19th and 20th centuries, amazing discoveries, all led directly to the creation of the nuclear bomb. An impressive tool for violence. Education and progress don't necessarily mean that we're going to progress past violence. These are current realities, and if, if we think we can get past it with education, we're sorely mistaken. So what is there left for us? Well, in chapter 8, Judah kind of figures it out. It's despair. Look at verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they'll become enraged, looking upward and curse their king and their God. They have nothing left, no other options. They roam the land hungry, it's war-torn, and they curse their king and their God. They're in utter despair. 
There's nothing they can do. They just blame others. That doesn't help them at all. Why is there no hope for humanity to solve the problem of violence ourselves? Why can't we do that? Surely in all of human history we would have found a way, but there is something stopping us from finding an end to violence. It's sin. Violence is a heart problem. Deep within us we are fundamentally broken by sin and so we can never rid ourselves of violence. And sin, it doesn't simply affect us at a surface level. Sin isn't just the bad things that I do. Sin is a disease at our very core that impacts every single facet of our lives so that even our attempts and efforts to end violence are corrupted by sin itself. And so how could we break free from violence? In Genesis 6, God looks down on the, on the world and this is just before he sends the flood, and he makes an assessment of humanity. And this is what he says. The Lord saw the, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. God sees his corruption, so he sends a flood in judgment to start over again with faithful Noah. But if you look at the world today, I think we could probably make the same assessment. The world is full of corruption and violence. Starting again with Noah didn't work. In fact, it was never going to work. God has a different plan in store, but it is a bleak picture. Humanity is wicked and violent because we are sick with sin. We will never overcome that ourselves. Now, I, I understand this is pretty grim. There is hope. We'll get to it in a minute. But I just want us to think for a minute, what does this mean for us? If there is no human way to completely overcome violence, what does that mean for us today? I think this helps us be wise about our approach to social solutions to violence around us. You know, we, we can't rest our hopes on human efforts. It didn't work in Isaiah's time. It hasn't worked since. We can't expect it to work now. But there is a lot of good we can do to help victims of violence. There's a lot of good we can do to mitigate and reduce violence, and those things are really good. And as followers of Jesus, we should uh, seek to be involved in and leading the charge in those good things. God has loved us so much, so we are to love our neighbours. And that will mean caring for victims of violence, helping reduce and mitigate the effects of violence. But we have to be realistic about it. We can't expect that our efforts will end violence completely. We can't expect that our efforts will heal people completely. We can't do that. It's just not possible for humanity to overcome. And so we need to be realistic while still loving our neighbours. This isn't light and easy stuff to deal with, I know. And there's a good reason that we have to face the reality of the world out there and the reality of our own sin before we get to the hope. 
Have you guys ever been driving at dusk and it's, it's dark enough that you want your headlights on, but it's bright enough that they don't do anything? You turn on the headlights, you don't notice the difference, but you still can barely see out. Maybe it's just me and, and my poor eyesight, but, you know, if, if it's not dark enough, the light doesn't shine brightly. And so that's why we have to dig into the darkness of this world because it's only yet when it's pitch black out that you turn on your headlights and you can see the light shines far brighter in the darkness. And so we have to face the reality of this world before we come to the solution. But God has given us a solution and we saw it there in Isaiah chapter 9. Come with me to Isaiah 9 verse 2. Isaiah prophesies this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On, the living, uh, on those living in the land of deep darkness, light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Darkness turns to light. Mourning turns to rejoicing. It says the word rejoicing there three, four times. This is a huge shift. Light has come. Verses 1 to 3 describe that light is here. Verses 4 and 5 tell us the impact and effect of that light. Look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, God, have shattered the yoke and that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. What is the hope for the end of violence? The light that is dawning, it is an end of war and violence. It's God will completely shatter and destroy the oppressor. All those garments used for war, the warrior's boots, the robes rolled in blood, you don't need them anymore. Toss them in the fire. Instruments of war are no longer needed. Other parts of the Bible talk about, you know, turning the spears into plows because you don't need them anymore. God will bring peace to this war-torn and violent world. Complete and utter peace. How? Through a child. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This child ruler, this child king, God's promise forever king, promised back in 2 Samuel 7, seen again in Isaiah chapter 9. This king will come, rule forever. The government will be on his shoulders and it will be unlike any other earthly government. No corruption, no greed. He reigns on David's throne, the throne that God has established. His kingdom is forever. 
His rule is marked with peace and justice. If you want to end violence, you need both peace and justice. In fact, the peace is brought through justice, through punishing the violent and the wicked and upholding the righteous. This is King Jesus. You might have figured that out. This is King Jesus. Yes, in Isaiah's day, uh, and they heard this, that they looked to other kings of Judah and they saw some fulfillment, but ultimately this is, this is Jesus Christ. This is our king. King Jesus rules on the throne of David forever. King Jesus is wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father and the prince of peace. And he's the greatest king, the most powerful king ever. We saw that as Haran read Colossians chapter 1 for us. It, it, it says that in all things that Jesus might have supremacy. Jesus is the supreme king. He rules over all of creation. He rules over his church. But the irony is that Jesus brings peace through violence. Have you ever considered this before? The way that Jesus brings peace is through violence. And it comes in two different ways. When Jesus first came, he grew up to be a young man who suffered incredible violence, being hung up on the cross, a violent, horrific, shameful death. Incredible violence. He suffered that for us. He suffered the violence of the wrath of God for us so that we might have relational peace with God. Sin has so fundamentally broken us, it's broken our relationship with God, but Jesus brings us peace. Romans 8 verse 1. But secondly, Jesus brings final peace and ultimate peace by waging a war of his own. If you've been around uh, church here for uh, any amount of time, you will probably have heard Revelation 19. And the reason is, I'm pretty sure it's Han's favourite passage in the Bible. One of. The picture in Revelation 19 is Jesus the warrior arriving on the battlefield of the earth as, as a general on his horse, a white robe dipped in blood, facing the armies of the nations. And he destroys them. He wipes them out. He barely even has to lift a finger of his might to destroy those who would wage war against him. It is a picture of war and violence, but it is a picture of just war and violence. It is a picture of the nations getting what they deserve for their wickedness, destruction. They are gone, destroyed, judged, shattered. That's the language of Isaiah 9. God will shatter the rod of the oppressor. This is just violence to bring peace. Isn't that ironic? Jesus suffers violence, judges in violence, but in doing so brings everlasting peace. Everlasting peace. And so what does that mean for you and I today? Because that hasn't happened yet. Yes, Jesus has died on the cross and we do have peace with our creator, God. We do have peace with our heavenly father. And that is a wonderful peace for us to rest in. But we still suffer real human violence today. So what do we do? 
Well, like I said, we, we can't rid the world of peace ourselves, so we need to fix our eyes on the day to come. We need to long for heaven. We need to look to that reality and live in light of that reality. And that reality helps us to endure. That reality helps us to not simply invest here and now. We look beyond this life, beyond this dark world, at the brightness to come, at eternity with our Father where there's no more suffering or pain or violence, where He will wipe the tears from our eyes Himself. And so if today you are suffering from violence, if you've experienced violence or, or people you know and love have experienced violence and you are hurting from that, know that something better is coming. That for all of eternity you will live in peace. For this short momentary life, yes, you will suffer. But for all of eternity, you will be at peace. That's not to say that there is no help now. We want to be a church that loves those who have suffered. We, we want to be a church that loves and cares for those who have experienced violence. And we saw those statistics, one in four women, 82% of kids who play sport. People here have suffered. But so have our work colleagues, our neighbours, the other mums and dads at sport or at school drop-off or... We can love them and we can show them the hope of Jesus. Jesus will bring peace. Something better is coming. Fix your eyes on that reality. Don't look for solutions in this one. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the hope that we have. This is a dark and gloomy world. This is a dark and gloomy age. But Father, the hope of Jesus coming and bringing peace shines so bright against this backdrop. Help us to love those who have suffered. Help us to seek help if that's us. But Father, even more, help us to fix our eyes on the return of Jesus and the peace that that will bring. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our theme song together.